Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. As I was studying to preach this topical sermon this morning on loved in Christ, I was somewhat surprised to find that in our English Bibles, there are more than 750 uses of the word love or a derivative of the word love. And I would like for us to look at every one of those this morning. But obviously we can't. We don't have the time. And we don't have the preacher to do that. But I do want to tell you that just to illustrate the overwhelming scope and magnitude of God's love. There is not a sermon or a series of sermons that can exhaust that. But since we simply cannot comprehend the subject of God's love in one sermon, I want to concentrate on preaching about the love that God has for all who are in Christ. And the initial scripture for this topical sermon will be Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, primarily because of the reference to the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. Now the purpose of this sermon this morning is to glorify God in Christ Jesus and to encourage His people by setting forth His particular and distinguishing love for His people in Christ. May our great God be glorified and may we His people be encouraged to humility, thanksgiving, praise, and worship, for He has done great things. Look with me at the text, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God. In these two verses we see that the Son of God is our resurrected Lord Jesus. He is the great shepherd and we are His sheep. And we see that there is an eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. And that covenant is ratified by the blood of Christ. It is God that equips us to know and do His will through Jesus Christ for His glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful and thankful for the opportunity that You have given us to come this morning to sing about the love that You have for us in Christ, to read about it, to pray about it, and now we've come, Father, to time to preach about it. Lord, I pray that You would Bless the reading and the singing and the praying and the preaching of your word today for the glory of Christ and the good of his people. Amen. Well, as we begin, let us recognize the fact that the Bible says God is love. Yes, God is love. This simple and profound statement that God is love is a Bible fact, but it is not everything that the Bible has to say about God and his love. We know from the Bible that God is love, but love is not God. Do you get that? God is love, but love is not God. Another example is this. It is clear from the Bible that there is a significant distinction 
in the manner in which God loved the world at large and the particular and distinguishing love that He has for all who are in Christ. Amen? The Bible says that this world and everyone in it is contaminated by sin and rebellion against the Holy God. The Bible tells us that a day of fiery judgment is coming when the Lord will righteously pour out His vengeance and fury on the unbelieving, unrepentant rebels, and that each day that passes stores up more of His wrath. Yet the Scriptures also tell us, they also tell us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It is the merciful and long-suffering nature of God that forestalls the judgment. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that the Lord demonstrated His love for the world by sending His only Son so that all who believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. But make no mistake, the judgment that has been promised and is currently being withheld will come with sudden destruction and catastrophic effect just as it did in the days of Noah. And just as it was in the days of Noah, only those whom the Lord God has shut up in the ark of safety will be saved. Noah found favor. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and the Lord shut him in the ark. The rest of the world remained outside the ark and perished under the judgment of God at the divinely appointed hour. The ark in Genesis 7 is a prophetic picture of the reality of being in Christ. Those and only those whom God, by His sovereign grace, has placed into Christ will be saved from the everlasting judgment. God has placed them in Christ, and He has decisively determined their destiny. God has placed all that will ever be in Christ, in Christ by those in Christ. The mercy of God in withholding judgment is much like the general blessing of rain that falls from the sky on the just and the unjust alike. But the power of God's saving grace is not general at all. It is particular, it is definite, and it is specific. God's salvation comes like a bolt of lightning from His throne of grace upon God's appointed people at God's appointed time. The love of God is particular and specific for those whom He has sovereignly chosen to love in Christ. Now I want to take the subject of God's love for those in Christ under four heads this morning. I want to talk about the origin of God's love the purpose of God's love for those in Christ, the results of God's love for those in Christ, and the steadfastness of God's love for those in Christ. As we read and as we speak of God's judgment, that in and of itself is not something that cheers us. We know beyond any doubt that the judgment of God is coming on a lost and fallen world. But the judgment of God is necessary because of who He is, because of His nature and His character and the fact that He has been sinned against. But beyond that, judgment is also necessary in order for God's love to have any meaning. If there were no judgment, then the love of God to the people in the Lord Jesus Christ would be of no benefit to anyone, would it? 
So the judgment that we have spoken so much of already this morning is that foil, it is that background upon which the sovereign and saving love of God for the people of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be displayed. The effect that that truth should have on us that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ is to fill our hearts with humility, to fill our souls and our spirits with thanksgiving and with joy and with praise and gratitude for God that He has chosen to place us in the Lord Jesus Christ and deliver us from the coming judgment. It should fill us with joy. Number one, God's love to those in Christ is eternal in origin. It is eternal in origin. I selected Hebrews chapter 13 and the verse that contains the only reference to the eternal covenant. I don't know a lot about the eternal covenant. And when you begin to read about it, it's clear that not everyone agrees on how broad in scope that it is. But I do know this. I do know this. That the eternal covenant was made between the Father and the Son before the creation of the world. Inside the Godhead, the Father and the Son made a covenant. The eternal covenant is not with me and you. But we are the benefactors. We benefit from the eternal covenant. The eternal covenant spills over to us in the grace and the love of the Lord God. Inside that covenant, the Father determined that He would give a people to His Son and that He would provide the Spirit to His Son without measure. That the Son would become a man and the representative of His people given to Him by God. That the Son would take the sins of His people, experience the wrath of God that His people deserved, and redeem His people with His blood and experience death. But He would conquer death. He would be resurrected and exalted to the Father's right hand. That all of those that the Father have given to Him will come to Him. That Christ will send the Holy Spirit to His people. And that multitudes from every tribe and every people and every language and every nation will partake of His redemption and His kingdom. That Christ will see the travail of His soul and be satisfied. Now that's not all that's included in the eternal covenant, but that is. I want you to see, my brother and sister, that God's love for us, His people in Jesus Christ, is eternal in its origin. He set it upon us before the foundation of the world according to Ephesians chapter 1. His love is not only eternal in nature, it is also an electing love. It is a selecting love. It is a particular love. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He determined our destiny before the foundation of the world by choosing us in Jesus Christ. The love of God in Jesus Christ toward His people is what has initiated our salvation. The Lord God in salvation and in love is always the initiator. He is never the responder. The Lord God did not respond to anything that was in us, anything that we thought, anything that we said, anything that we prayed in order to set His love upon us and give us His grace in Jesus Christ. God is the initiator and He initiated His love for His people in eternity past. 
His love is not only eternal and electing, but His love is comprehensive. We also read in Ephesians chapter 1 that Almighty God has blessed us in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It cannot be more comprehensive than that. It's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as comprehensive as it can be. It is eternal, it is electing, and it is comprehensive, His love for us. But it is also a love that predestines. God has decisively determined our destiny. As we read in Ephesians chapter 1, we read of the glorious doctrine of predestination. Now everyone here understands that the word to predestine or to predestinate, that's a compound word. Destiny means how it's all going to turn out. Pre means to determine before. Almighty God, before the foundation of the world, decreed that the people that He would give to the Lord Jesus Christ would experience His love in Jesus Christ, they would experience His grace in Jesus Christ, that He would give them the new birth, and the evidence of that would be faith in Christ and repentance of their sins. Praise God! Apart from that, there would be no salvation. There would be no one in Christ. It is God and God alone who is to be praised for the salvation of all that will ever be saved. He was under no obligation We have no merit. There's not anything in any of us that deserve it. Simply by God's grace alone, He determined to set His love upon us. He decisively determined our destiny to adopt us as the sons and daughters of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. We also read in Ephesians chapter 1 that He did that according to the purpose of His will. Not our will, nor any other reason, simply according to the purpose of His will, which is another way of saying, because He chose to do so. Out of His love and His grace and His mercy. And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that His purpose was to bring praise to His glorious grace. Amen? Amen. So our salvation... The love of God for us in Jesus Christ has ancient roots. It has pre-ancient roots. It is rooted in eternity. It is rooted in the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. And my brothers and sisters, that's as far back as we can go. We cannot go any further into old eternity than the eternal covenant. To, To try to pull that curtain aside and look behind it would be to speculate. It would be to tell God that you have not given us enough information, God. Friends, I want to tell you that not everything that I want to know about God and about this world and about me and about you is in this book. It's not in there. Not everything I want to know, but everything that I need to know is in there. So we can go back as far as the eternal covenant. We see this, that our salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is rooted in the eternal covenant between the Father and the Son. And it is Almighty God for the purpose of the praise of His glorious grace who has chosen us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not only is God's love to those in Christ eternal in origin, God's love to those in Christ, this is point number two, is effective in purpose. God's love to those in Christ is effective in purpose. It's initiated by God, and it's irresistible, it's active, and it's powerful. His blessings to us, you will notice, are in the beloved Son of God. His love for us is unconditional. That means that 
There are no conditions that are attached to it. God has chosen to set his love upon those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is unconditional. This love that we receive from Almighty God, this, this unconditional love, it is undeserved. It comes to us by His sovereign grace through faith. We read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. It is Almighty God that initiates this love. It is a, an initiating love. We love Him because He first loved us. Amen? It is a love that calls. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 8. It is a love that calls us unto God. You see, we would, we would not go to God if God had not effectively called us unto Himself. It is a love that justifies us. I had the privilege of preaching a sermon about justification here several weeks ago. It is God's love to His people in the Lord Jesus Christ that declares us innocent. It is God's love that declares us to have the righteousness that Jesus Christ has. It is that kind of love that calls us. It is that love from God that justifies us. And Paul goes on and in the same breath he tells us that the love of God glorifies us. We are called. We are justified. We are glorified. And Paul speaks of all those things in the past tense. He is so certain of them that he speaks of them in the past tense. So the love of God is effective in its purpose. It is unconditional. It is undeserved. It is God that initiates, calls, justifies, and glorifies. How does that work? Well, God, through His love, opens hearts. We need look no further than Lydia in Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul was looking for a place to preach the gospel. And he found it down by the river. There were some ladies down there going about their business. And he preached the gospel. And there was a lady there named Lydia. And the Lord saved her. Not because Paul opened her heart. Not because Lydia opened her heart. But the Bible plainly and clearly tells us that God opened Lydia's heart. The Bible tells us that God's love to His people is irresistible. God's love to His people, praise God, is irresistible. Listen to the words of Jesus Himself from John chapter 6. All that the Father hath given me will come to me. All that the Father hath given me will come to me. It is an irresistible love. And it is a love that completes what it begins. The Lord Jesus said, not only will they come to me, but I will raise them up. You understand that what the Lord Jesus is talking about is, is that all of those that the Father has given to him, they will hear the gospel message in their day at the appointed time. God will give them the new birth as evidence of the fact that they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will live, they will die, but the Lord Jesus Christ said that He will raise them up. He will not leave us in the ground. His love is irresistible, and it is a love that completes. The love of God for those that are in the Lord Jesus Christ is a purifying love. It is a purifying love. He saved us, motivated by love, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. When the Lord spoke to Joseph, 
He told him, you shall call his name Jesus. And then he told him why. For he shall save his people from their sins. Not in their sins. He shall save his people from their sins. Friends, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. We are being delivered from the power of sin. And the day is coming when we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. The love of God for his people is purifying. The love of God is effectively purifying in our lives. The love of God is substitutionary for sinners. Praise God. Praise God. Sinners like me and you may be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His love for sinners is substitutionary. And His love for sinners is sacrificial. It is a substitutionary love and a sacrificial love that God has towards sinners. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. There may be someone here who is misinterpreting this sermon and thinking to themselves, I may not be qualified to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the qualification to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is? Are you a sinner? Yes, you are. Christ died for sinners like me and you. The love of God is substitutionary. The love of God is sacrificial. And it is the love of God in Christ Jesus that saves from the wrath of God to all of those that are outside of Christ Jesus. My friend, where are you today? Are you in Christ Jesus the Lord? Are you in that ark of safety? Are you in the true ark? Are you outside? Are you outside subject to the storm and the flood of God's judgment and God's wrath? The effective love of God produces children of God. John tells us in his first letter that God has made us the sons and daughters of God. Love of God not only produces children of God, love of God produces good works. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are the craftsmanship of God. I understand that that, uh, that that word could also be translated poem. We, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are the handiwork of God. We are the, we are the craftsmanship of God. We are God's poems. He has created us for good works, which, by the way, Paul tells us, that He has before ordained that we should walk in them. <laughs> my brother and sister in Christ, you may leave here with full confidence that you will accomplish the good works that God has set out for you to accomplish because He has before ordained that it be so. His love produces children of God. His love produces good works. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty certain that doing all those good works just grinds me down. It wears me out. I get up in the morning and I go, and I may not be but one or two good work all day long. It may be a prayer. It may be a hymn. It may be, a, it may be an interaction that I have with someone. But if we are actively engaged in accomplishing the good works that God has set before us, the way that we should feel at the end of the day is empty. Empty. We should desire rest. Physical rest, yes. Emotional rest, yes. Spiritual rest, absolutely. 
according to the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one source of the rest that we so earnestly desire. He is the source of our rest. The love of God is that which provides the rest. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, not taking that verse out of its context, but I am taking it in its most comprehensive manner. Our rest comes from God. Rest is an example of the effective love of God in the lives of His people. Physical rest, spiritual rest, emotional rest. We are recharged by Almighty God. But not only does His love produce children, not only does His love produce good works, not only does His love provide rest, but His love, the love of God for us in Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ for us is unequivocally, without doubt, absolutely declared by the Bible to be the greatest love that there is. There is no greater love than the love of Almighty God for the people of Christ and the love of Christ for His people. The Lord Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. He called his disciples his friends. My brother and sister, we are in Christ. We are his friends. He laid his life down for us, substitutionary and sacrificially, to satisfy the wrath of God against us. There is no greater love than that which Christ Jesus has for his people. God's love to those in Christ is eternal in origin, it's effective in purpose, and it's also equipping for life. God's love to those in Christ is equipping for life. It prepares us, it provides for us, it preserves us, it furnishes us and supplies us with all that we need in this life and for the life to come. Everything for life and godliness, physical and spiritual, temporary and permanent, comes to us by the love of God. We are reconciled to Almighty God. He has brought us back to Himself. He has brought us back to His standard by His love. He has redeemed us. The love of God is a redeeming love to His people. He has redeemed us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God to His people is a forgiving love. He has forgiven us our trespasses. The love of God to His people is an informing love. It is through the love of God that we have the knowledge of the mystery of His will. It is through the love of God that we know the unknowable. God's love is informing. It is forgiving. It is redeeming. It is reconciling. And God's love is regenerating. God's love is regenerating. It is the love of God that motivates, us to, motivates Him to give us a new nature and has made us partakers of I would be scared to say these words if the Apostle Peter had not said them first. He has made us partakers of the divine nature. Now make no misunderstanding, we are not divine. We are not God. We will never be divine. We will never become God. But as far as that statement can go, it does go. God has not only given us a new nature, but He has made us partakers of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4 the love of God provides an inheritance for us. We have obtained that inheritance. 
The love of God through the Holy Spirit confirms His love to us. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't just seal our love. He is the seal, excuse me, God's love. He doesn't just seal God's love. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God's love to us. It is God's love that guarantees our inheritance. The Holy Spirit doesn't just guarantee it. He is the guarantee of our inheritance, of our redemption, until we fully and finally possess it. God's love for those in Christ is equipping in life. His love is that which cleanses our hearts. It is His love that restores us. It is a restoring love. John tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His love helps us and comforts us and intercedes for us in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. It is by love that the Lord Jesus Christ sent His Spirit, another one just like Him, another one just like Christ, to be our helper, to be our comforter, our helper in times of need, our comforter in times of distress, and He is an interceder for us. You understand by reading the Apostle Paul that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer when we don't know what to pray. Praise God. I look out across this crowd and there are many of you that I have texted, that I have called, that I have looked in the eye and I've asked you to pray for me and thank you for praying for me. Please don't stop. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm going to ask you to don't stop praying. And that's important. We are to bear one another's burdens. But at the end of the day, the day may come when one of us is going to outlive the rest of us. They're not going to be as many folks our age that we've grown up with and have labored with in the gospel for years and years and years that we can ask to pray. And as quick as I am to ask you to pray for me, and I should be, I should be even quicker to go to God's Holy Spirit and ask Him to pray for me. There's oftentimes that I don't know what to pray or how to pray, but He does. He knows the mind of God. And He prays with groanings that cannot be uttered. On my behalf and on your behalf, my brother and sister in Christ, by the love of God, He has given us a helper, a comforter, and an interceder, an intercessor in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And God's love is correcting to us, my brother and sister. God's love to us is correcting. The Lord disciplines and chastises those whom He loves. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. The Lord Jesus Christ dealt with that at the cross. But as a loving, caring, responsible, competent Father, Almighty God disciplines us and chastises us to get our attention and to bring us back to conform in our lives with what we should conform with, His Word. Praise God for His correcting love. God's love as He equips us for this life matures us. It is a maturing love that produces confidence for the day of judgment, according to John. Our love is in the process of maturing for the purpose of producing confidence for us in the day of judgment. Realize that we can have confidence. The day of judgment is coming, just as sure as the sun came up this morning. The day of judgment is coming. But those of us in Christ Jesus our Lord have a love that is maturing and it produces confidence for the day of judgment dispensed to us by Almighty God. And as God equips us for this life in Jesus Christ through His love, His love provides, according to the Apostle Peter, all that we need for life 
and godliness. Do you hear that? The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 that Almighty God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that there is in heavenly places. Now, if it's not in heaven, it must be here, right? The Apostle Peter tells us that by God's love, the Lord provides all that we need for life and godliness in this life, in this world, on this day, right now. There is no need that Almighty God does not equip us for by His love. Well, fourthly and lastly, I want to point out that God's love to those in Christ is everlasting in its effect. It is everlasting in its effect. It is endless. It is ceaseless. It is enduring. It is undying. It is an abiding love. God's love is irreversible. It is irreversible. The Lord Jesus said, All who come to me, I will never cast out. That's an absolute statement. All who come to me, I will never cast out. The love of God is endless. We see that as John records this about the Lord Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 13. He loved them unto the end. And again, I'm not taking that verse out of context. I'm taking it in its widest scope. The Lord Jesus Christ loves us. Almighty God the Father loves us from the before, the beginning, before the beginning of time. He will love us unto the end. His love is irreversible. His love for us is endless. And His love is enduring. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, And so we will always be with the Lord. His love is enduring. We will always be with the Lord. His love for us is inseparable. It is inseparable. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His love to us is an abiding love. Christ said that He abides in all those who feed on His flesh and drink His blood. Hard words, no doubt. The Apostle John tells us in chapter 4 of his first letter, though, that we abide in Christ, and Christ abides in us, brother and sister. God's love for those in Christ is everlasting in effect, and it is a love of preparation. It is a love of preparation. You know, when the holidays come, and the family gets ready to come in, and Grandma's cooking the groceries, and she's cleaning the house, and she's doing all the things. She's preparing to receive those that she loves, isn't she? And she takes great delight and great joy in all that hard work. I trust that you have experienced that in your young lives. God's love to His people is a love of preparation. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. If we weren't going there, He would not be preparing a place for us, would He? How, you say, does he know that we're going there? I'm glad you asked. The Lord Jesus Christ is preparing a place for those that he knows that are going there. And the way that he knows that they're going there is he is coming to get them. It's not up to us to get there. The Lord Jesus Christ said that he will come and receive us unto himself. It's not only a love of preparation. He's coming to get us. But it's also a love 
of reception. You understand that the Lord Jesus Christ longs for us to be in His presence. You understand that, that when He prayed to the Almighty God, He prayed that we would be with Him where He is in order to behold His glory. It's a love of reception. He said, I will receive you. I will receive you unto myself, to his disciples. And praise God, the love of God provides a new song for us to sing. It provides a new song for us to sing, not only in this life, but in eternity. We read in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 that we will sing a new song unto the Lamb. God's love for us in Jesus Christ is a royal love. And it is a priestly love. You see, we also read in Revelation chapter 5 that we have been made kings and priests unto God. And the love of God for us is a powerful love. We shall reign with Him in power. Same chapter, Revelation chapter 5. We shall reign with Christ in power. God's love for those in Christ Jesus the Lord is a nourishing love. It is a nourishing love. When we go more toward the end of the book and we get to Revelation chapter 22, we read this, my brothers and sisters. God has given us the right. God has given us the right to eat from the tree of life. What all does that mean, Brother Greg? I don't know. But it's good. It's good. It means that Almighty God Himself will continue to provide everything that we need age upon age upon age throughout eternity. And it, there is no prohibition there that God has given us everything that we need and He has said, take and eat. Take and eat from the tree of life. And then above and beyond that, finally, God's love for His people is a welcoming love. We also read in Revelation chapter 22 that God has not only loved us, that He has not only saved us, that He has not only given us a new nature and made us partakers of the divine nature, and He's not only met every need that we have in this life, but we read in Revelation chapter 22 that God has given us the right to enter in to the city of God. God has given us the right to enter in to the city of God. I don't know what all that means either, but I do know this, that those that are in Christ are welcome in God's presence. That God has made it so through His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, that He can welcome us into His presence that the Lord Jesus Christ is even now preparing a place for us, that he will return for us one day to receive us unto himself, where we rightly belong, where age upon age upon age, eternity upon eternity, we will behold his glory. I didn't count all those up, but there are more than 50. Right there is the basis for a whole year's sermon series on the love of God to those that are in Christ. Let me borrow from the Apostle John and tell you this. There, there are many other ways that God loves those in Christ. If every one of them were written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books 
that would be written about the love of God for those that are in Christ. Friends and brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that this overview in this topical sermon this morning for the love that God has for those in Christ Jesus has created humility in us, not pride. That has created humility in us and not pride. We're different, but it's the Lord God that has made us to differ by His grace. It is my prayer that what it has caused in us by God's grace and His Spirit is the desire to worship Him, to give Him thanks, and to praise Him for who He is and how He loves us in Jesus Christ. And it's my prayer that God's Spirit would work in us a strong desire to know better the one that loves us so. To pray for the desire to love Him deeper. Holy Spirit, would you cause us to pray for the desire to know Him more in His fullness. To pray to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. Holy Spirit, would you cause us to pray for our hearts to be broken over remaining sin and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And would you cause us to pray that you would give us love to lost people and the motivation to tell them about our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. And friend, if you're here this morning and God is impressed on your heart that you're not in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you feel the conviction and the weight of your sin and the burden upon you, if, if God maybe for the first time has shown you that you're under the wrath and the condemnation of God right now, and you're crying out in your heart, what, what must I do to be saved? The answer to that is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful and thankful for your love toward us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that we've been able to just scratch the surface here in the last 40 minutes or so about how that love manifests itself in the lives of your children. Father, I thank you also that you love the world in this manner, that you sent your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Father, if there's one in our midst this morning that has not believed, may this be the day that you give them faith through your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you go with us now in all that we do? Would you make us thankful? Would you make us worshipful? Father, would you fill our hearts with praise for you? Give us a burden to love our brothers and sisters, to help them, to care for them, to love them and support them. And Father, would you give us a burden for a lost and dying world that we see all around us. We thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen.